Welcome to the podcast, Cocktail Party Economic Conversations, with your hosts, Evie Animate and Richard Maranta. Well, welcome back to uh, Cocktail Party Economic Conversations, uh, which is uh, looking at topics uh, related to the book, Cocktail Party Economics. And today we have as our special guest, Aaron Gladstone, and we're looking at the chapter in the book, chapter 10, called The Name of the Game. And this is a play on game theory because um, industry can be structured in such a way that they can play predictable games with predictable outcomes. And as economists, we care about that because it can reduce what we call social welfare. And so we might have regulators who are trying to make sure that markets stay as competitive as possible to get us to what we would call the social optimum. So welcome, Aaron. Really glad you could make it. Happy to be here. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. It's uh, Rick Maranta. Yeah, I just want to I just want to start by you know asking you a bit about your current role, and then maybe you can take us from your uh, path from the beginning, um, where you came from. At uh, you did your undergrad at Guelph. And then just the path that you took and some of the, the things that led you to do what you're doing now. So I, I noticed your, your title is Competition Law Officer at the Competition Bureau of Canada. Man, I could have used you today. I was talking to my cable company and I just looked <laughs> like, so I, I, I went down to a, a lower plan and then they took away some kind of a, a, a discount that I had before. And I didn't realize that they take away the discount once I went down to the base package. Anyways. <laughs> so man sick them go sick them for me i don't think that's what you do but <laughs> i think it's a great name so i'm just wondering if, if does that make you a competitive person or like a not competitive person <laughs> um well when i was at guelph i was on the debate team so i guess take that as you will um but uh yeah so a bit of background on me i guess um, yeah. You know, as you said, I, I went to Guelph. I was in first year economics uh, nine years ago, taking uh, Professor Adame's course. Um, and then since then, I graduated Guelph with a BA in economics uh, mm -hmm. under, and a minor in business administration and another minor in history. Um, and then I went on to Queen's University where I did a master's in economics. Um, and that's kind of where I got involved in, in uh, antitrust, which is essentially mm -hmm. competition. Um, and uh, at Guelph, I was kind of focused on health economics. And then when I went to my master's, I started to focus on antitrust. And then I did my graduate research in pharmaceutical antitrust. Um, and then mm, that nice kind combo. of... Yeah, exactly. Um, and then that kind of led into, um, you know, my job at the Bureau and an interest in it. I actually didn't know that the Competition Bureau existed uh, until my graduate work. So, um, mm. you know, hopefully the kids watching this will will know about it a bit sooner. Cool. Yeah. Do you feel a, like a cop? I describe it as like, I am the nerdiest kind of officer. Like it is uh, a desk job 99% of the time. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a, a moment of excitement when you, you know, depose a high-ranking executive in a you know multi-billion-dollar company, um, or kick down a door and, and seize documents. Um, but <laughs> we, but kick down a door I use metaphorically. Um, yeah. But basically, um, 
we are, uh, you know, the, the roughly you can think of us as, you know, the prosecutor or the, the police officer um, kind of regulating uh, competition and making sure that everyone plays by the rules. Uh, essentially, if you think of like a, a competitive game of hockey, you know, we're the ref, just making sure that, you know, there's no offsides. I've noticed that there's like a lot going on right now in antitrust, you know, um, stuff going on. Are, are you really immersed in that kind of stuff to see what's happening? Yeah, so it, it's actually an interesting time. Uh, antitrust is starting to get a bit more uh, sexy. It kind of comes in ebbs and flows of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people are interested and they're not. So, you know, recently there's been some, uh, you know, appearances before con- congressional committees um, by Facebook, Google, you know, the, the big firms mm-hmm. on antitrust issues. Um, you know, we, we've had recent cases. We just settled with Facebook. They, they were fined $9 million um, for deceptive marketing, um, basically using people's data in ways that they hadn't gained permission to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had cases against Ticketmaster for drip pricing where they were fined $4.5 million. Um, you know, we've, I, I've personally worked on some, some kind of mergers that people would know about. Um, you know, I, I led the team for the uh, Cineplex acquisition uh, being acquired by Cineworld. Um, you know, I, I contributed to the review of the Google Fitbit acquisition. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting that like, Mm. names that you know the public would know um you know you may have never heard of us but uh you know we've Mm. we've probably impacted your life in some way i was going to ask uh like when people look to get merger mergers to have mergers sometimes there's a yes and sometimes there's a no how often is it a no you're not allowed to merge that's a good question um very rarely actually um the vast majority of mergers are either um fine or even pro-competitive. So for example, if there's two companies that you know, sell ice cream and they're both sending out 10 trucks each every day um, to deliver the ice cream, then maybe if they merge, they could consolidate those trucks and only have to send out 10 trucks between the two of them or 15 trucks between the two of them, um, which could actually lead to efficiencies and, and you know, be beneficial for the market. Um, it's very rare that, you know, a merger results in anti-competitive effects, which are essentially to, to tie back to your course, um, you know, higher prices, lower quality of services, lower quantity of products, less choice, less innovation, um, and, and less kind of confidence in the market. I, I don't know if you can comment on this and if you can't, that's fine. But Verizon keeps trying to come into our market and, you know, enter our cell space and, um, they are always resisted, you know, but probably I think they use um, information, uh, security of information is part of the issue. Um, so how often do people just keep coming back to, you know, they get a no and then they keep coming back? So it happens, uh, it, you know, so generally um, if parties, first off, I, I should back up a bit and just say that, uh, you know, all comments during this conversation are my own. Uh, any errors or omissions, uh, of which there will probably be many, um, <laughs> are my own, and I own them, and uh, my views do not necessarily reflect the Bureau. Um, but in terms of whether or not companies come back, um, usually we'll review the merger, and uh, you know, if we deem it to be potentially anti-competitive, we may block the merger. But we are not the 
judge, jury, and executioner. Um, so if we believe that a merger is anti-competitive, um, then we have to apply to the competition tribunal, which is a quasi-judicial court. It's essentially a court for our purposes, uh, where we can be thought of as kind of the prosecutor and then the parties who want to merge are the defendants, and then we plead our cases. And if uh, you know through that process the parties lose or through that process the parties say, you know what, forget about it, we're going to walk away, um, then they may come back you know, within the next few years, maybe there's a change in the market. Um, you know, for example, you know, take a company like Teledirect, who used to be uh, dominant in the, uh, you know, yellow pages, telephone book industry. Well, things have changed in the last 20 years, and now you can easily Google it. So like those kind of developments in the market can seriously change whether a company is dominant and therefore whether a merger is problematic. Mm-hmm. Do you um, do you take part in like say um, break the break up of companies? You know, say large companies, and and is that at your initiative, your the bureau's initiative to say this is out of hand, or 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 is it somebody else? And then you're sort of that arm that that does that. So so it's a good question. Um, big is not like we commonly say. Big is not always bad. Um, so. If a company, let, let's say that you invent some new product and it's a revolutionary product, it's a drug that cures cancer or something like that, um, and you all of a sudden own this market and are a monopolist in this market because you've developed this drug that nobody else can match. Um, in that case, more power to you. As long as you become a monopolist by fair competition and by fair means, um, then we're not looking to to you know break up companies um, willy nilly, or or we're not a price regulator, so uh, we're not going to go in and say, hey, you're charging ten dollars for this product, you have to charge eight, you're not allowed to charge ten. Um, that's not really our cup of tea. Um, but where a company does something that is against the rules, unfair to achieve that monopoly. And we, we say kind of um, enhance, maintain, or create market power, um, then that is where we get involved uh, to make sure that everyone's playing by the rules. That must be so hard to uh, really enforce because, you know, companies uh, often, if they're doing this to enhance their situation, it's not like they're doing it publicly. There's some sort of covert stuff going <laughs> on. And... Um, like, for instance, the recent case with all of the uh, um, grocery stores all at the same time reducing their wage fr- from COVID, right? So they raised, they gave a COVID premium, and then they all reduced it. And then it looked like they must have colluded to get rid of the um, of the wage premium. So then, of course, they're going to argue, no, we didn't collude. Like, how much of a leader-follower model? Somebody does it, I copy you. Is that collusion or is that not collusion? Yeah, so so it's very interesting. Um, and you know, take a simple example. I always go back to two gas stations on a corner because um, it's the simplest case of competition. Simple product. Um, if I run a gas station and you run a gas station, if you drop your price to a dollar, I'm not going to charge a dollar ten. I'm going to follow you down to a dollar. Maybe I'll put it at ninety nine cents. Right. So there is this kind of leader follower where I'm going to be reacting to my competitors. Um, or there can be obviously cartels and collusion um, behind the scenes. So in those kind of situations, um, 
to, to, we have a cartels directorate that, that prosecutes cartels. It's a criminal offense. Um, and essentially, many of those cases are started but through our immunity and leniency program, whereby if one person comes forward uh, and says, hey, I'm involved in a cartel or I know about a cartel or whatnot, that person can be granted immunity and therefore they're not prosecuted and possibly sent to jail. Um, so often it's a whistleblower or somebody uh, on the inside. Um, but then again, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is just um, you know somebody who sees prices moving in a certain kind of tandem motion um, and, and they report it to us and we have you know, free reign to investigate. And we can acquire documents through um, you know, civil subpoenas um, or by, as I said, kind of kicking down the door and, and searching uh, premises and seizing laptops and that kind of stuff. That must be scary when that happens. Suddenly someone's in your office and they're kicking everything. That must I, be terrifying. I've never gotten to do it personally myself, but I've heard that it's uh, five seconds of excitement and then days of boredom as you're like combing <laughs> through the documents. And, yeah. 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 What's the most common kind of anti-competitive behavior that you you think or we're, as Canadians we should be most worried about? Um, so to give you a bit of background, um, there are four enforcement branches at the Bureau. There's monopolistic practices, which is uh, kind of a unilateral uh, exercise of market power. So that's you know one firm doing something unfair. Then there's mergers and acquisitions, which is two companies coming together or one being bought by the other. Then there's deceptive marketing practices, which is everything like, um, you know. Rick's uh, story. Yeah. <laughs> you want to jump in? <laughs> no, no. Rick's story about his, his cable. Oh, oh no. yeah. Yeah. So it, like, it, it's basically saying like, um, yeah. are you advertising the true price? Um, it's also dealing with scams. So uh, we put out. A, a little black book of scams, which maybe we can like link to it or something, but I think that everyone uh, mm. should be aware of it. Um, you know, Canadians lost over a hundred million dollars last year to scam artists. Um, oh, yeah. And that ranges from, you know, the fake CRA calls that you get um, to romance scams, to puppy scams where somebody says, I have a puppy for sale and then you send them a deposit and then you never get the puppy. Um, so th there are some very, vicious and egregious kinds of uh, deceptive marketing um, that can really affect people. There's um, even the, the the totally useless business like duck cleaning that nobody actually needs. Duck <laughs> exactly. Cleaning. But you really probably can't prosecute them because it's like, okay, if you want to pay for something that nobody actually really needs. Right? Yeah. So, so that's the thing. Like if I call you and say, hi, can I clean your ducks for a hundred dollars? Right. That's, probably fine. If I call you and say, hi, your ducks need to be cleaned or else your house is going to catch fire and kind right. of lie to you in order to coerce you into paying for that service, then that's where I'm crossing a line and uh, you know eroding the trust of consumers in the market by lying to them. It, it also covers basic things like you know packaging on, on goods. So how do I know that the things in my you know can of soup are actually in my can of soup? you know, uh, yeah. when I go grocery shopping or something. The, like the energy companies were doing that quite a bit coming to people were coming to your, my door. This has happened to me coming to your door with like vests on and saying, uh, I need to see your, like, um, your water heater or whatever. Can I see your bill as if they were like an official 
government or whatever. And I remember at one time I had these two who they came right in my house, these two women, and then they were laughing at me. They said, Oh, you don't want to save money. But it, this was very deceptive in, in my mind, what they were doing, these like energy companies, as if they had a right to come and see my water heater or furnace or whatever, or my bill, even show, can you show me your bill? And it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's very dangerous. And you know, it, the, the most vulnerable in our society are the ones who are preyed on the most. Um, so, so sorry for a bit of a tangent. This actually doesn't really have to do much with, um, you know, monopolies versus perfect competition, but that is kind of an area that's kind of close to my heart. And I really think is, is important, um, to maintain confidence in the market. And you said there's four, so I think you've done three. Right. Perfect. Uh, sorry. So it was monopolistic practices, mergers and acquisitions, deceptive marketing practices, and cartels is the last one. So for the purposes of this discussion, cartels and mergers and acquisitions are probably the most important. Um, mm -hmm. And then we also have advocacy, an advocacy branch uh, and an international branch. So I've personally worked with my counterparts around the world, um, you know, staying up till midnight to have a conversation with an Asian, you know, representative and whatnot. It's, it's really fun to kind of have this common purpose, but very different experiences around the world. Um, and in the, uh, uh, advocacy branch, we reach out to and, and assist other government agencies and other entities um, with their competition uh, policies. So for example, we've sent a submission to the uh, city of Toronto regarding Uber. We sent a submission to the city of Ottawa regarding you know allowing more competition in their food truck industry. Um, and we recently, just within the last few weeks, sent a, uh, a, a piece, a letter to the Minister of Consumer Government and Consumer Services of Ontario regarding, as uh, he mentioned previously, rental appliances and uh, how there are some issues in that market. Wow. So in terms of competition, thinking about what students will be learning in an intro course, uh, cartels, there's some legal cartels. So things like, um, uh, well, basically uh, the dairy farmers mm -hmm. of Ontario. It's basically a legal cartel. So some cartels are illegal and some are legal and uh, some monopolies are legal like the LCBO and others are not so legal. So I guess uh, in terms of the government, how do they kind of put things into, okay, we're really going to be caring about this kind of, you know, anti-competitive behavior, but we're going to support it if it's in another sector. How do they kind of divide things up? So it's a good question. Um, and we personally don't write the laws uh, or the regulations. Um, so basically a regulated monopoly, like as you said, um, dairy farmers or hydro utilities, um, you know, there's one monopoly, you know, Toronto Hydro, Electra, Guelph Hydro, whatever, wherever you live, there's no competition in the distribution of electricity. It's a regulated monopoly. Um, or something like the Bank of Canada is you know, a crown corporation. Uh, you, nobody competes with the Bank of Canada. Uh, or hospitals in Ontario, you can't you can't set up your own hospital and compete. So there's these kind of uh, regulated monopolies whereby some whatever whichever government entity it is has decided that the pros of having this monopoly outweigh the cons, and therefore they have put in legislation to allow these specific monopolies to exist or these specific cartels, or there's situations where um, it's kind of outside of our jurisdiction. So for example, it's something like OPEC. Um, which is the, I always butcher this, the, the oil producer something, 
commission or I, I can't remember it. Anyways, we always, we've been calling it OPEC since the 70s. Yeah. So <laughs> OPEC is a bunch of countries who produce oil um, yeah. and they are essentially an international cartel. But because they're outside of our jurisdiction, we don't really touch that. Um, then you have you know milk quotas, as you mentioned. We have um, legal monopsonies like unions, um, whereby we recognize the benefit of collective bargaining um, and allow certain kinds of monopsonies. Um, and then we have uh, you know patents, trademarks, copyrights, etc., whereby we recognize that in order to spur innovation, we will grant a monopoly for this product that you have invented or whatnot for some limited period of time. I guess uh, my concern when I think a little bit about uh, how markets are changing and uh, moving kind of online, the online space, are you worried at all about monopolies like in, in, in kind of uh, cyberspace? Yeah, so it, it's kind of interesting. Um, and, and there's many who call for kind of the, the breakup of, you know, large digital players, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, et cetera, Amazon. Um, and, and we really are seeing this um, explosion of a, of a digital economy um, where there's, there's kind of multiple schools of thought, one of which being, you know, we need to separate these entities because they're getting too powerful. But then there's another school of thought of um, when was the last time you were on MySpace, right? So there, there's kind of this churn whereby there may be competition for a market or there could be competition in a market. So competition in a market is two gas stations competing against each other, whereas competition for a market is these situations where we have these network effects that lead to big firms, but then they can be displaced by another big firm that has some novel idea that makes things so much better. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, no, that's interesting. It's uh, something I... Like when I, you know, you think of Amazon being such a juggernaut, right, of, for online sales. But, but then you look at something like Shopify, the Canadian company. I mean, they do well in their own space, but it's very similar for online um, commerce. But you realize they're actually competition as well to some degree of, you know, Amazon, right? Not in exactly the same way, but those are kind of interesting things that you're saying. They're in the same. So there's competition that could push others out eventually, like MySpace got pushed out. Or... Yeah, that's interesting. But one thing that we do have to watch is um, kind of predatory acquisitions, whereby, um, and many people feel that, you know, Facebook's acquisition of Instagram, for example, was a, a predatory acquisition whereby Facebook saw Instagram coming up and possibly challenging them, and so they bought it. Um, so that's something that we have to be very wary of, and, and especially in the digital space, because it moves so quickly. Uh, it can be very difficult at times to to really understand, you know, should the Facebook Instagram merger have been approved, um, or if it hadn't been approved, then would Instagram have grown into what it is today, or would it have you know failed, or would it have been something completely different? Um, so it's very hard to kind of gaze into that crystal ball. We use a, a lot of econometrics and uh, you know analysis and gather information from the market to do our best job. But with the digital economy, especially, it, it moves very quickly and uh, it, it keeps us on our toes. I know, but what a big issue is that these companies are, you know, stationed outside of Canada. So, mm -hmm. so these, so I, I know the U.S. is talking about banning TikTok from the U.S. I, I just, 
think that sometimes when you have international board, cyber moves borders really quickly. So a merger can be approved in another country. And what can we do about it? Like we can't stop a merger if it doesn't originate here. So it's interesting. Any company that has a substantial amount of commerce in Canada or a, a physical presence in Canada, so if they have a Canadian subsidiary or if they sell into Canada from an American subsidiary, for example, we can um, challenge that merger um, or, or conduct, whatever it may be. Um, so, But you're absolutely right that in this kind of globalized age, um, it's become a lot more important to work with our international counterparts and really um, you know, share information, coordinate, share ideas, um, and, and really create this global community that is looking at these, you know, behemoth mergers of multi-billion dollars. For example, like something like Google Fitbit, like that merger um, affects any country where Fitbit is sold and Google operates, which is probably, I have no idea, probably over half the countries in the world. Probably more. Not that everyone's getting a Fitbit, but <laughs> probably they all have Google. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, actually, this conversation has been really interesting. And um, I have to comment, you, uh, and I'm sure some people are going to notice this when they watch our little podcast thinking, wow, he's really young. So you've done really well for, you know, being out of school. You did intro micro like nine years ago. So you've done grad school in the meantime. But um, your career path has been pretty interesting. And uh, you've gotten pretty far. So do you think it's because you've moved into the government sector that that was made it available for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I went straight from my master's at Queen's uh, into this job. So I've been at the Bureau for four years um, and I, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a fantastic experience um, and I would recommend it if anyone's interested. It's so cool saying you're with the Bureau, like, like <laughs> some you're FBI the... <laughs> guy, you know, CIA that's, cool. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess every time there's law enforcement, you need a bureau. <laughs> and we do, you know, uh, work with other law enforcement agencies, whether it's the RCMP or the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center um, or, you know, more local police forces to enforce fraud. Um, so it, it's a lot of fun. But we are we are definitely not the guys, you know, putting on the bulletproof vest and, and suiting up. We're, we're the nerdy guy behind the desk. Yeah. Pocket, uh, you put the pocket protector in and your calculator. Exactly. In the holster. No, it's on his Fitbit. He's got it. He's got his calculator oh, yeah. on his right. watch. Hey, Google. Hey, Google. What's? Yeah, that's right. So, well, anyway, thanks so much, Aaron. It's great. Yeah. I'm sure students will suddenly see the chapter on uh, monopolies in a slightly different way because obviously when textbooks are written, they they use examples that the authors are more familiar with and often the authors are like my age. <laughs> and so you've had some opportunity to see things that probably younger people would be able to, you know, see as significant like Instagram and Facebook, because uh, that has probably affected them more than uh, say, you know, whether or not uh, cab companies colluded on fares, uh, especially now that Uber has entered into the market. So anyway, uh, Thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we keep in touch. It's always good when Guelph alumni, uh, I know you went to Queens, but you still were a Guelph person originally. So make sure you keep in touch with us and, uh, and uh, let us know what happens in your future. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs>